Welcome, everybody, to our next episode of Exponential Wisdom. I'm Peter Diamandis here with my coach, my dear friend, Dan Sullivan. And Dan, I think this episode, I like to talk about the disruption, call it disintermediation of the insurance industry, Mm -hmm. which is sort of an age-old industry that was making a lot of money. And I think they're they're in a whopping full of trouble coming in with AI and genomics and, and sensors. What are your thoughts, pal? Well, first of all, Peter, I have long experience because when I started coaching in the 1970s, among my very first and best clients were what they called top-of-the-table life insurance agents. So there's about 500 agents who sell the most insurance in the world. This is life insurance, and of course, insurance covers a lot of different areas besides life. But I've seen the disruption in that industry continual disruption for almost uh, 40 years, going on 40 years now. If we look back at what insurance used to be, and you know much more about it, but it was basically large dollar reserves and statistical tables and Mm -hmm. armies of insurance agents sort of smoothing out the ups and downs of your life. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I would say that the English-speaking world especially, because it started in the UK, the very first life insurance company was called Scottish Widows and Orphans. (laughs) And it was basically created for the widows and orphans of Presbyterian ministers who died. What was beautiful about it is that they had exact actuarial dates, you know, when somebody was born, when someone died. And they, they actually, the first actuarial tables put together, and this is in the early 1800s, actually would stand up to scrutiny today. They were so good with their actuarial tables back then. And that was the model. And then, of course, it was such a successful model that it just spread mainly throughout the English-speaking world. And I think the main reason is that in the English-speaking world, because it's always put an emphasis on individualism, that you were made to be responsible for what was going to happen to you. And I think insurance is one of those great vehicles that actually encourages individualism and personal independence because you can actually safeguard yourself through your own investments. So I'm a great believer in it. I mean, we have massive amounts of life insurance, Babs and I do, and I'm a great believer in it. But how it gets created, how it gets sold, and how it gets better have now been taken over totally by the technological world. Yeah, I just got a large life insurance policy on me because I could afford it, and why not? Now I have two kids and so forth. And I was just still so blown away in life insurance on how unsophisticated it was, right? I mean, it's like answer a questionnaire, have a doctor's visit that basically does nothing. Yeah. And then they're happy with that information. That's insane, right? Because we can know so much more about the individual. We're heading towards a world, you know, a trillion sensor economy where a person can know, let's parse the insurance mm-hmm. business. Let's talk about, first about life insurance, right? We can know my genomics, my microbiomics. We can do a full body MRI like we do at HLI and determine is there anything going on inside mm-hmm. your body. But we can go further than that, right? Because we can also begin to know from the AIs that will be in our life, 
Do you speed? <laughs> do you eat healthy? Where do you spend your time? How much do you sleep? You know, I'm wearing my aura ring that measures the amount of sleep time I have.、Mm-hmm. I mean, we can start to know so much about you and the things that correlate to raise your probability of living longer or not. We're not seeing yet the life insurance companies that will take all that data into effect. You know, like Progressive Insurance puts a box in your car and it measures your. Driving habits and then gives you a discount if you're a safe driver.、Mm-hmm. The same thing can be true with、uh, life insurance, too. Yeah, well, my feeling is when an industry is slow to adjust, it means a lot of money is being made by not creating any value. <laughs> That's great. No, no, I mean, look at government. Why is government so big and so slow? Because a lot of money is being made by not creating any value. Fascinating. <laughs> So just think about that of what is open to opportunity for making things faster, easier, and cheaper. Pick an industry that's really slow, really cumbersome, really complex, because you just have massive numbers of people in that industry making money by not creating any value. And they're there trying to put the regulations in place as a protectionist mindset.、Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, If you're able to provide 10 times the value or at one tenth the cost, I guarantee you those regulations will eventually change. And in terms of who knows most about you for your insurance,、mm-hmm. from an insurance standpoint, you know, it's not very long before Facebook and Apple and Google get into the insurance business in one shape or another. Yeah, or Amazon、sure. will do it. But, Peter, in my experience, because I've had from every part of the insurance industry, insurance with a capital I here, there is a distinct difference between life insurance and every other kind of insurance. Generally speaking, every other kind of insurance can be bought. Okay, so car insurance, auto insurance, and everything else, you see a need for it, and sometimes you can't move forward unless you can prove that you have insurance. Life insurance, unfortunately, has to be sold because you have to sell it on the basis of talking to people about their death. And you have to talk about that the value of it is actually going to happen when you're dead, and it's a tough sale. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Before you got your really big insurance policy recently, had you given any thought to insurance previous to that? Zero. To life insurance, zero. Yeah, and the reason is because nobody ever sold you on what kind of big future you were going to have. Yeah. So the very gifted salespeople are always going to be there. I have people who are making more money in life insurance than ever before, but they're very technologically empowered.、Yeah. They're taking advantage of it. So you're seeing some real stars in the insurance industry who've been very agile, very flexible. And it's all about being a coach for that person's bigger future. So, if you had met someone 20 years ago who had their wits about them, they would have gotten you started talking to you about your future. And then you'd say, Well, how does this have to be underwritten, the future that you're talking about? You know, it's interesting because when I think about who's going to make the most money based on the longevity boom that you and I talk about frequently.、Mm-hmm. It's the life insurance industry, right? Because、yep. if I don't die for an extra 30 years, that's 30 years more premiums that you get.、Yep. And you delay your payout. So I always thought, in my sort of longevity mindset, 
start a life insurance company at Skate King because that's what's going to make a lot of money there. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, but your notion of your future is a lot bigger probably now than it was seven years ago, seven, eight years ago when we first met each other. Sure. Would that not be true? Yeah, absolutely. The whole point is I believe in my own longevity plan, but, you know, Nobody who got killed in an accident or nobody who went down in a plane crash was planning on it the day before. So I'm always aware that there's accidents that can take place in life, and we have a company to protect. So we've gone through the whole process with our team. Babs and Dan always fly together. What happens if you get the news that Dan and Babs went down in a plane crash? So we've always given that thought, can the game of strategic coach go on if Dan and Babs aren't there? So you start thinking, yeah, I'm going to live to 156, but suppose, you know, it's not the right plane flight that I take. So how are you going to deal with that in such a way that it's bad news, but my team knows exactly what to do? It's bad news, and your Kristen and your two boys know exactly what to do. You have a backup of your mind file. We regrow you and clone you. But in seriousness, it's something which I don't think about. I think very few people do think about because it's morbid thoughts. So besides life insurance, there is automotive insurance. And of course, we're going to see, and I'm just struck by how the auto insurance companies are not scared shitless right now, given autonomous cars coming. The challenge is going to be that I mean, this is going to be impacted in two ways. One, autonomous cars are highly unlikely to have accidents. If they do, it would be 1,000th the rate, mm-hmm. right? It will be by those pesky drivers who still are driving a car themselves mm-hmm. versus other autonomous cars. And then on top of that, you're not going to own a car anymore because you're going to own access to car as a service. Yes. So it's a fleet management issue. So we're going to start to see auto insurance dramatically change. And then, by the way, it used to be, of course, car insurance was faultless insurance, right? Mm -hmm. You didn't care who was at fault Mm -hmm. because I probably was spent so much time arguing who was at fault and so forth. But going forward in the massive sensor networks that we're going to have where everything's being imaged and visualized all the time, you'll actually be able to know exactly who was at fault. Yes. So... Maybe that will change as well. Yeah, and I think the whole underwriting process, the whole claims process, I mean, those are essentially the two issues, the two big transactions in all areas of insurance is how long does the underwriting process take? I mean, someone like yourself, Mm -hmm. Peter, with your medical records and everything else, you know, your financials can be checked out in, you know, in a matter of an hour even with today's technology. And, you know, when blockchain comes and everything is totally on the blockchain, and that would include your medical records, your up-to-date medical records, all you'd have to do is, you know, have access to someone's blockchain file, and you should be able to issue insurance within a matter of seconds, and an AI program can probably do it. It's interesting, right, because I could get an extra insurance for a particular trip I'm making pretty instantly, sort of just-in-time insurance, or mm-hmm. I'm not feeling confident about something and I want to get an insurance premium for the next chunk of time. But there's other things where you know insurance is all about statistical mm-hmm. knowledge and bet-taking. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see that we're going to be able to know so much about you and your 
situation. Let me just describe one way in which insurance companies are going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. I've thought about this and I find it fascinating. So I want you to imagine, so health insurance or life insurance are two both great examples. Mm-hmm. And if you think about this, an insurance company goes and they'll insure a large population of people because they need the population statistics. And they have people at the lower end of the population curve who are unhealthy mm-hmm. or who unfortunately die from heart disease, cancer. Mm-hmm. And then you've got people at the other end who are making the premium payments, but they're super healthy and they're at the top 10th of 1%. But imagine a future in which I'm able to go to a community of people and say, listen, anybody who's got my clean genetics, anyone who's got my clean autonomous car driving record, anyone who's got these attributes would put you at super low risk. Mm-hmm. Why don't we get together and self-insure? Yes. And all of a sudden, the insurance companies lose their best bets at the top, and all that's left is the lower quartiles of their insurance pool, and they're done for. Yes. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. David Berg, who I think you might know from the 10 Times program, and he's in the Game Changer program, he's created an entirely new process for health insurance. And what he's determined statistically, that if you take a company, let's take a company that's got 100 employees, he can identify that 90% of the costs come from 10% of the population of that company. Mm -hmm. And he can identify exactly who they are on the basis of three different diseases, diabetes being one, asthma being another. I forget what the third one is, but... High blood pressure or something like that. Yeah. 90% of the costs of that 10% come from three particular problems. And it usually has to do because they've not taken their medicine to keep themselves safe, and they show up at ER, and immediately ER at a big hospital can be like $50,000, okay? So one or two incidents can take your premiums up. So what he does, he takes those people out of the program and insures the others at a very low rate, and he gives the 10% actually free health care, and all he does is take a catastrophic insurance policy in case something happens. And he's been able to maintain his costs at level for the last nine years of his own company, which has seven or 800 employees. And it's the statistics that make the difference here. So it's really big data that's really going to be the key here, is that you can identify in any large group of people exactly where all the costs are coming from. And among those people, you can identify the three biggest causes. And he's been able to maintain a company of eight or 900 employees at level costs for the last nine years, simply because he's using the data. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. There's you know another company that I'm in, advisor investor in is a company called Lemonade, and they do home insurance. And what they've done is they've identified the notion that a lot of claims are actually false claims and abuse, and that you're less likely to do that if the people in your insurance group are your friends and colleagues. Yes. So what they've done is they've gone to groups that have some kind of a link. They're all parents in a school together, and they'll create a group of 100 or 200 or 500 in an insurance pool, and you basically 
at the end of the year, they take half of their profits and they redistribute it to the group. Mm -hmm. And they found a massive reduction in false claims because you're unlikely to be trying to rip off your your neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's very interesting. You know, this is probably a topic for another podcast, but I have a theory that as technology goes global, everything else goes local. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is the localizing of insurance. Yeah. Yeah. My sense, I see it all over. I see it in the political realm. I see it in the social realm. It's like the controversy over Facebook and the possible misuse of information, personal information. I think that's going to be a phase that we're going through for about 10 years, maybe. And then after this, I think that more and more, you're going to have communities of trustworthy people. People are going to find almost like we're going back to a village, but it's a village based on other interests besides proximity. Your village could actually be globally distributed, but there's an affinity that you have. So my feeling is that there's a localizing that's happening in every realm of activity right now sure. because the global technology makes it possible. Yeah, I mean, you think about you know the strategic coach 10X family, right, mm -hmm. from around the planet, but we all have something in common because we are coached by you and we know each other and there's respect for each other yeah. and the commonality between us, but it's not where we live. Yeah, check out A360 in January where everybody comes from, but what holds them together is three days in January. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what other kind of insurance is there that we should be thinking about the disruption? I mean, the idea that a salesman or saleswoman, salesperson, whatever, is selling you insurance I mean, part of what I think about is over the next six years, we've talked about this, we're going to be going from 4 billion people to 8 billion people on the planet. And these 4 billion new consumers that are coming online, they're all going to want insurance of some type. You're talking about the online, online population. Online population going from 4, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, not actual. Yeah. yeah, the online population, we're connecting an, an additional 4 billion minds. Yeah. And they're all going to want banking and insurance and education and healthcare and all of these things. Mm -hmm. But- on the insurance front, it's going to be something that is not likely to be sold by a human. It's going to be sold as a, a feature or an app or by an AI in the future. Well, it's interesting. I have contact, well, you know, John Bowen. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, John is connected with probably the greatest researcher in the finances and the lifestyles of the really super rich. His name's Russ Allen Prince. He's from New York City. And there's eight strategies that affluent people use to offset taxations and to make their life easier. And all these are public knowledge, but unless they're actually educated on these, they don't take advantage of them. So I'm going to introduce another concept here. You won't have a salesperson, but you will have a coach. Mm. And my feeling is that as the world goes technologically global, there's only three realms of existence. One of them is technology. The other one is teamwork. And in the middle is coaching. Mm -hmm. You and I are coaches. Yeah, absolutely. You are coaches. And my feeling is that as these intermediaries disappear, because in a sense, the really good intermediaries, the really good salespeople in any realm of insurance are actually terrific coaches. They're actually getting people's goals 
clarifying their goals and saying, well, I want to tell you the techniques and the strategies that are available to you if you have these goals. And that's not a salesperson role. That's actually a coaching role. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, why people follow you on the internet, and we'll talk about that later, about the digital A360 as we're coming up here. What you are is a first-class coach because people don't even know how to think about what you're talking about. At the end of the day, getting someone to switch from their normal habits to something new is we're resistant to it. We're used to doing the same thing over and over again. And, you know, it's how do you make it easy? But importantly, how do you get coached to change? And how does the other person feel confident about doing something new? And who do I feel responsible to? In other words, you know, if I don't make a change and no one knows about it, then, you know, I can hide behind my own rationalizations. However, if I'm being responsible because I'm going to see you again next month and you say, hey, how's that going? Yeah. Then I feel that level of responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. I think the human aspect of it actually can emerge much more greatly as we go forward with this, because I think the time-tested reasons why humans hang out with each other only get reinforced if you have really good data to support what the community goals are, what the individual's goals are. But more and more, I mean, I'm blowing my own horn here. When I read an article in 1973 on what the impact of the microchip was going to be on, you know, all of society over the next 45 years, I immediately became a coach. And I said, there's going to be a lot of people who don't know how to think about these things. I think it's actually the delivery of new ways to think about things. That's the prime human role as we go forward with technology, because technologies do not explain themselves. True. Technology in a good form, like an iPhone, should become intuitively usable without knowing what's behind the user interface, so to speak. Well, if it's a really simple technology, I mean, and some technology companies have been really better at this than others to actually explain it. But for example, I will never take instructions by reading. Interesting. Yeah. I agree. The only only time I've read instructions is on a board game with my kids, I think. Yeah. And they killed you within an hour. (laughs) They they did. (laughs) They killed you. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, just to wrap up on insurance. So insurance was always aggregated into very large players and then multiple agents. Yeah. And I think we're going to have the ability to see a disintermediation in super niche. Yeah insurance and super quick insurance that your data trail serves as the quick decision-making validation for a particular rate, so to speak. Well, here's the thing. My feeling is that insurance is only going to grow, you know, as an aggregate industry, it's only going to grow. And the reason is because it's simply trying to predict in the future that if something bad happens, there's going to be a tool or a mechanism that will protect everything that's valuable to me for the people who are still here, or if there's a disaster, that there will be a way of surviving the disaster and coming out the other side. I don't see any of those dangers lessening as we go forward. 
Well, I mean, some will, right? I mean, the reduction of car accidents, so auto insurance may reduce in that regard. Mm-hmm. And the reduction of surprised heart attacks or surprised cancer yeah. that would have caught you because you didn't know about it. And then, of course, the whole realm of longevity plays are going to make sure that when you find something, there's a whole slew of corrections there. So catastrophic will change in some areas and life insurance in some areas and health insurance in some areas. Yeah. And the question is, you know, what will go away? What will get cheaper? And then what's the mode by which I get it? Yeah. But my feeling is human beings by nature are betters on an uncertain future, and they like to offset the risks of their bets. You know, I mean, right now, if you've taken out a a large life insurance policy and you're the guy who's going to live to 700, you're taking into account that you don't have complete control of what's going to happen to you. So my sense is that insurance industry is actually a very recent development in human history. Sure. You know, Lloyd's of London, which is the first extremely well-known betting on ship voyages from Lloyd's Coffee House in London. You know, a ship was going off, it was going to bring back this. They wanted to offset the risk, so they asked people to underwrite it. So if you put your money in so that the ship captain and the ship owner didn't have to take the complete risk, then other people would take the risk and they'd get a big payoff if the ship came back safely. So that's where insurance, so it's a very recent, I mean, it goes back three or 400 years, all of human history, and three or 400 years, all of a sudden, this interest in aggregating risk and spreading risk is a brand new thought. So my feeling is the concept itself would not change, but it'll become technologically empowered. Mm -hmm. And individuals will find it easier and easier to get the specific insurance they need get it fast, get it easy, get it quick. But if you've been making money by not creating much value, your career is in risk. And I think that's happening wherever you have large bureaucracies. If you're a member of a large bureaucracy, I think it's harder and harder for you to justify why you should get paid. That is for sure, my friend. And we're also going to see, as we've talked about, the demise of the middleman and insurance salespeople to a large degree are middlemen. So Yes. You know, if the front keeps changing, those in the middle are continually at risk. So be in the activity of creating new things that have value in entirely new ways. And that's a good life insurance policy right there. That's a good career insurance policy. For sure. Yeah. Always be disrupting yourself and reinventing yourself. Yeah. You know, when I think about the future of industries changing, another one that is massively changing so fast is the entertainment industry. And I'd love to talk about how rapidly that's changed and how fast it's going to change. You up for that next time? I am up for that, Peter. Thanks a lot. All right, pal. See you soon. Take care. Okay.